You're listening to the Fulcher Ireland Inside Tourism Business Podcast, the definitive podcast for tourism operators, bringing you expert advice, insights, and practical tools to help you navigate the challenges your business is facing. My name is Ruth Hegarty, and I'm your host for the first series of Fulcher Ireland's new podcast, where we delve inside food, examining trends, innovations, and tackling costs to help you run a leaner, more successful food operation. Welcome to episode one of Inside Tourism Business, where we will start the series by looking at how consumer trends are shaping eating out. I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Quinn, hospitality management consultant specialising in hotel operations management, chef and food consultant Niall Hill, and Amanda Horan, manager enterprise development at Fulcher Ireland. Welcome all. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. So it's been a hugely challenging time for the industry over the past year. We're all well aware of that. We certainly have seen incredible levels of adaptation and innovation, but that hasn't been possible for everyone. And the tourism sector is still facing some some really challenging times ahead. Joe, if I can start with you, what are the major impacts on the industry and where, where do you feel the industry is at right now? Thank you, Ruth. Well, I think in three words, the industry right now is on its knees. If you look at occupants in, in Irish hotels, you know, for the year ending uh, December 2020, it was circa 70% lower than in 2019. And RevPars, that's revenue per available room, was down about 80%. And also, if you, if you consider that, I suppose, in the hospitality sector, there's circa 250,000 people employed. And if you look at the numbers right now, in excess of 150 um, people have been laid off, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's in pretty poor shape. But I have to, I have to say, you know, I, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. I have been involved in the, in the industry for 40 years now, and uh, I've seen a lot of ups and downs, but this has been far the worst. But as I say, there is light. And I think if people use the time wisely now, uh, when hopefully we'll open May, June time, we should reap the benefits and the, the rewards. So if you think of our industry, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great industry. In, when it's running well, it's, it's worth about $9 billion to the economy. And I don't think those days are too far again if we, if we play it right. Amanda, why has Fulcher Ireland got involved in creating this podcast series? Thanks, Ruth. Well, I suppose for us, 2020 saw food operations working at a really frenetic pace to pivot their experience uh, under the new operating guidelines. And as you said, there was lots of innovation and some of it brought success, but equally there was a lot of challenges and some of those challenges still exist there. We know that some businesses are actually, you know, working to drive sales, but but really maybe haven't had a chance to get under the bonnet and understand if actually there is profit in what they're trying to do. So now that we are in level five, you know, still in quarter one, uh, 2021, and nobody would have wished this on the industry, but there is actually an opportunity here now to reflect and to be more strategic in how we plan for 2021. We have new insights now with things we know now that we didn't know last year, new consumer lifestyle trends, new customer segments and market segments to reach out to, new ways to look at profitability on what's working and what's not, and new uh, supports and labor cost uh, and food cost tools that we've built to help people in that regard. So the podcast for us offers an opportunity to support businesses to reflect, to take stock, to be more strategic. And through these bite-sized conversations on insights and tips and advice with subject experts and practitioners, 
really will help people consider how to get it right this year, how to be planned to be more sustainable in the long term. Great. And you mentioned those those consumer trends that Fault Ireland has been looking into, and that's what we're diving into in, in episode one of the series today. So, Joe, can you talk to us a little bit about what are some of those broad consumer trends and behaviour changes that we're seeing post-COVID? The first one I really see is this business about home holidays, mini breaks, you know, staycations, domestic tourism, whatever you'd call it. Um, international travel tourism will not really recover until next year. So I think the focus is really going to be on domestic business. You know, we saw it last year, particularly in the regions where there was quite high occupancies June through September, October, highest 70, 80%. And I think that the pent-up demand will be a key driver. You know, what would what I would regard will be a very long season from June to December with high demand. So it's important that business, you know, that's are scaled up and ready to, to be, you know, there for a very rewarding and busy time. And you can see that advanced bookings are really evident nationwide. Another trend I see is this business of, of safety and enhanced hygiene protocols. I feel it's critical and, you know, the feeling that one is safe and that the hotel is really caring about, you know, your health and your safety. You know, it's one thing saying it, but there's another thing actually living it. And I think there'll be a little persuasion to be done here. You know, they say that business are led in three three ways. They're either energy-led, uh, cost-led or, you know, service-led. And I think after COVID, you know, a lot of businesses were going to be safety-led. Another trend emerging um, and now developing faster than ever is that people will be more open and, uh, to you know, new technologies in hotel. Um, for example, you know, self-check-ins, check-outs, guest bedroom access via smartphone, touchless technology and food and beverage apps. And I think more than ever, there's an opportunity for hospitality providers, you know, to innovate and invest in digital technology. And I suppose it's, it's, it's trying to find a balance, the right balance between technology-based service and human interna- interaction and interface. I also see working remotely now and with, you know, with legislation now imminent, which will allow people to work remotely. And given the emergency and trends by many of the multi-corporates, which see the majority of their workforces right now, you know, working from home and for the foreseeable future, not to mention, you know, the travel saving costs, there is an opportunity now presents itself for some operators to adapt space for alternative use, such as office space, you know, with the right tools to do the job. It also allows for upselling on food and beverage offerings. I also think online off sales, particularly around food, you know, for whether it's to go collect and or delivery, you know, people are socializing, they're working, they're shopping and they're entertaining online more now than ever. And the age profile is getting wider. So, you know, getting used to the idea of shopping online is clearly evidence in the retail sector and food plays a big part. So a great, great opportunity for hotels who are, you know, they're probably set up, uh, particularly in the urban areas, which have good reputations for food, you know, to develop off sales products and distribution. Yeah. And I suppose, as you say, lots of things that the industry really needs to be watching and, and responding to and lots of opportunity there. So as Niall, when it comes then to the to the food side of things, what what do you see as the the emerging consumer trends that industry need to be aware of and maybe adapting to? 
What I see, Ruth, is that customers' food preferences are very different now compared to 12 months ago. I really see an increase in health and wellness with a real emphasis on nutrition has really come to the forefront. And in particular, in relation to mood foods, I think people were feeling anxiety and, and you know, they were looking at omega-3s and how can they incorporate them into their diets. There's also, I've also seen a real increase in pro and prebiotics and recipe development. You know, and chefs are really having a look at how they can, how they can incorporate some of these ingredients uh, to make their dishes really healthy. And I think that's what I've seen from um, a chef's perspective in relation to uh, what's happened in COVID. Uh, people are looking for more nutritious and safe food. And I know that um, Fall to Ireland have been doing quite extensive research around consumer and industry trends, both at home and abroad. And Niall, the the emphasis on local and the desire to support local really is stronger than ever, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I really see that uh, where the trends are going uh, is, is chefs supporting the local community and local suppliers, because I guess uh, producers and suppliers are, are, are hurting like every other business. They've, a, they've a, an excess of produce. So I think that's really coming to the forefront in developing seasonal menus, but it's also initiating innovation. When you're working uh, through the seasons, you've got to be a little bit more creative. And with, with that in mind, it's also really pushing the nutrition element because what's in season is always best to eat. Uh, and chefs really have to adapt the menus in, in line with what's happening out there. And Amanda, I mentioned that that research that Fault Ireland has undertaken. I know it's been quite in depth. What are some of the key trends that the really important ones that have been identified? Yeah, Ruth. Well, I suppose just for anybody who's interested, that full research is available on our Fault Ireland site and on our COVID hub. So I would really encourage everybody to look at it there. It's very digestible in how it's presented. But some key top line things just to call out on that, as Niall and, and Joe have alluded to, dining preferences and patterns are changing as our lifestyle changes. And that's affecting how people engage with takeaway services, we see those, for example, you know, before COVID, about 30% of Irish consumers engaged with those. That's now up at 71%, uh, probably influenced by the fact that we don't have much other options. But there is a feeling that in actual fact, that will remain uh, quite strong post-COVID uh, when we get into vaccine levels and are able to move about again. But 15% of that market is now serviced by restaurants. So that's quite a change. Equally outside dining, I know we're going to talk about that in a moment. But really interesting here to see the willingness of the consumer to eat outside right through the seasons. And then there's also new opportunities coming through the research in terms of, you know, food and drinks such as picnics, food to go. Um, and these, the whole idea of care packages and food featuring as a part of that care packages. And also then within the technology, as Joe has alluded to, you know, there's actually quite an acceptance in that, assuming it's not going to lose the personal service. And then the whole area of click and collect, I mean, 73% likely to continue with that opportunity uh, and use that service after um, the COVID pandemic has eased with the vaccine programme. So loads of uh, insights route loads of opportunity to actually identify where you can grow revenues and channels and i know we'll kind of get into some of that conversation now yeah so as you say all of all of that research available on the fall to ireland uh, covid19 support hub and so let's dive in a little bit to to some of those new dining opportunities and those changes that you've mentioned and I suppose the, the one to start with probably is the, the first meal of the day, breakfast. We know the hotel sector, as, as Joe explained, it's, has been hugely impacted. And of course, breakfast is one of the areas that has seen huge change. Um, 
Joe, to come to you first on that, uh, what are some of the, the the big challenges now around breakfast and some of the potential solutions that hotels might consider? There, yeah, there's quite a few, uh, Ruth. But the biggest impact is having to deal with, you know, this business of social distancing. You know, hotels and restaurants, by their nature, they were never designed for social distancing. So, you know, being creative on how your ground floor is set up is important. You know, if you take, for example, a 100-seater restaurant, one meter distancing uh, will reduce that 100 seats to 67 seats. If you were to extend it to two meters, you're down to about 45 seats, which is a great reduction. And as I said earlier, you know, because of the pent-up demand, nearly all hotels, I think, when they open, will be, you know, will be driving high occupancies into the 90s for a good period of time. And that means that for there will be many guests who will want to, you know, a fail of breakfast. And the pinch point will be to be able to serve those people safely. So planning your ground floor space, um, you know, to realign key areas, bars, lounges, lobbies, restaurants, I think it's going to be very important. And hotels will adapt and, you know, they're resilient and, and they're already thinking about this anyway. Uh, room service uh, to me will, will be much more prominent. And, you know, developing easy to transport products and service to guest rooms will no doubt help. I think the packaging, you know, and the presentation is very important. And I think people will use this facility now because it becomes appealing and it'll also take pressure off ground floor. I think the whole area of the buffet setup, you know, is really under threat. Uh, And I, you know, if you look at the intercontinental hotels who have 6,000 sites worldwide, they've stripped out the breakfast buffets and placed it with, with a la carte. And look, I do know that every hotel in Ireland has some sort of buffet set up, some very elaborate, and they've been very effective in serving breakfast over many decades. And it was always seen as the most, you know, labor cost effective way to do that. But self-service buffets will no longer be acceptable. And, you know, people will not be comfortable using them. So, so there has to be, some will be removed, others will be adapted for display, you know, storage areas, or even to dispense counters for for waiting staff to dispense food to to breakfast guests. So I think that clear instructions for customer journeys through service areas, one-way systems, you know, clear directional signs and an order of work for service personnel that minimizes face-to-face interaction, I think will be important. And just on the pinch point, I mean, there are things that can be done to alleviate it, like, for example, allocated times for breakfast, allocated spaces for breakfast. So it mightn't always be the restaurant. It might be the lounge. It might be a nook or cranny. It might be a lobby area. And then extended breakfast hours. And I know Niall will um, probably touch on this a little bit more, but all day dining could come into play. And I think as the business mix between June and December would predominantly be leisure breakfast throughout. So I think people will have more time to lounge lounge about. So I, I think there are some key changes that we're going to see in the next, you know, when we open in June. Yeah, so no doubt lots of lots of operational and service service changes required there and, and a big rethink really to, to how breakfast is done. What about the food side of it, Niall? As Joe said, the, the self-service buffet, which is really the, the traditional format in, in most hotels, is 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 gone for, for now. So how can hotels approach breakfast, make it a bit more efficient, uh, make it profitable? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, as Joe touched on there, like buffets are, are no longer a real viable option for businesses. And I think the approach you have to take is the a la carte breakfast. But, you know, historically, breakfast has always been, it's been really an afterthought from a chef's perspective. But I see this as a real opportunity to change that. And it should be given the same emphasis to breakfast as they would lunch and dinner. 
Uh, and I think an opportunity uh, that arises is, is current global trends in, in plant forward thinking and plant forward based cuisine. And these don't lend, these dishes don't really lend themselves to uh, a buffet um, uh, setting, but they do lend themselves to, to being finished to order and to be plated up. And I think this from, from a cost point of view is, is, is really a good strategic move as well, because, you know, you've no, you've no, you've plant protein in there, you've no protein. And um, so obviously your dish is going to be a lot cheaper. And we're going to touch on food costs later on in the series, but uh, I, I just feel it's a real opportunity for chefs to shine. And also what it does, it helps them control uh, their, their food costs as well. Uh, and with Joe, what Joe said about, you know, allocated times, you know, this also has an, a knock-on effect uh, with your labour costs as well. But I think one of the strategies to, to really do is, is to have a look, when you look at your breakfast menu, is, is to really kind of link that to other other dishes within your other offerings. Um, so you can, oh, you're always driving a lean business and you have cross-functional ingredients, so you're reducing your labour costs all the time. Uh, but that's where I see it going. But I also see a real uptake on to-go bre- to uh, breakfasts as well. It's a real opportunity, possibly, which businesses and the likes of hotels never had before. Yeah, and Amanda, as we we mentioned earlier, that uh, you've been involved in Fault Ireland creating a, a breakfast toolkit, which really gets into a lot of detail on some of these areas that Joe and Niall have been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, you know, the problem we were trying to help address within the toolkit is this whole area of, you know, that Joe and, and Niall has alluded to, A, you know, how to do it effectively how to service the volumes we're doing with, with, with less space and looking at those challenges and looking at service flow challenges. And then actually within that, you know, when you pivot off a buffet and you start to create a table service menu, we actually need to start thinking about it differently. It's not a matter of translating the buffet menu onto a table service menu, but actually this is an opportunity to be really innovative and to look at menu re-engineering that makes sense for, you know, healthier lifestyle uh, and breakfast preferences but also opportunities to upsell and drive, you know, food margins in that way as well. And there's been a whole host of, you know, hotel consumers over the years have been kind of maybe not selecting the B&B inclusive rate and choosing to go a room only rate. And I think there's real opportunity now with the a la carte menu to actually entice some of those back. They may not have wanted a full end to end buffet breakfast service, but they wanted maybe one or two healthy items and an a la carte really allows them kind of do that as well. So again, huge opportunities for sales. But to Joe's point earlier then, how you service that in reduced capacities, we've looked in the toolkit about how to innovate in that whole, you know, breakfast service to the room and maybe the whole idea of a more continental um, local produce a breakfast basket that's almost like a breakfast picnic to your room uh, and if you're catering for more of your customers in your room then it leaves you more space in the dining room to cater for the others or equally even to start to look outside of your um, resident guests and to see how you can entice in locals or people coming into meetings or areas like that as well so throughout the toolkit i mean there's eight sections in the toolkit and we've looked at everything from the trends in forming menu design how to re-engineer menus and cost them to be more profitable, looking at the culture of, of, of introducing and upselling tr- and training in upselling to teams within, within the businesses and how to reimagine room service breakfast as well as looking at opportunities for the you know, food to go. So those corporate guests, even when the domestic market, when they start to return, how do you better service them so they don't just take a room only, but you give them a very handy 
breakfast to go bag as they walk out the door. And it saves them driving, you know, down the road and into a corner shop or a, or, or a, a food court to pick up a breakfast, which actually you can easily serve service them um, as they go. So they're all areas that we've covered in the toolkit. Loads of tools in there, templates, calculators for labor costing and food costing, as well as, uh, you know, how to build SOPs uh, and some uh, inspiration as well for new food menus. Okay, we'll be right back after a quick break to hear about some Fault Ireland supports. Fault Ireland's new breakfast toolkit contains expert advice and practical tools that are applicable to all areas of food and service. You can find the breakfast toolkit and more helpful supports and guidance on the operational performance section under strategic F&B operations on our COVID-19 business support hub at faultyireland.ie. So moving on, I might stick with you, Amanda. Um, Joe spoke earlier about the need to really use all the spaces available to to you to, you know, when your hotel is at full capacity or you're really trying to maximize business during the busy summer months. One of the areas that everyone will be looking to if they have it available is is outdoor dining. I know this has come through strongly in the consumer insights research that Fault Ireland had done, that people really are uh, willing and um, want to dine outside. Absolutely, Ruth. I, I suppose what really maybe surprised some people within the research, and as I said, it's fully available on the Fault Ireland Hub and on the Fault Ireland website to download and study at your leisure. But, you know, 55% of, of consumers have eaten outdoors now since last March. And a lot of that is driven by the need to feel safer, the desire for fresh air and ventilation, probably, you know, influenced a little bit by COVID concerns. And equally, the desire to eat outside because there's a feeling that there's better social distancing available. But it doesn't come without the caveat of the fact that they do want to feel warm and dry. So weatherproofing will be important. But I think, you know, the question was really, was this a fad or a, or a, a, a short term trend influenced by COVID? But actually, in fact, when, when we dug into the research, there's actually a willingness and an appetite to eat outside year round. So 91%, you know, saying they would eat out in spring, 97% in summer, 87% in autumn, but a staggering 55% still looking to do that throughout the winter, provided we have the appropriate um, cover uh, and and support from the wind and the rain. Um, and I think that what's interesting about that is, you know, Ireland probably has been slow in regard to this as opposed to other European markets. And we tend to think of, you know, the, the, the likes of the warmer Mediterranean climates that are really good at outdoor dining. But I think we need to start to think like Scandinavia. Scandinavia have been doing this for years. And I know when I visited, I was fascinated to find I could have a very comfortable meal in the middle of winter with very minus degree temperatures and snow on the ground up there. But actually, I was sitting on a chair that was warm because it was properly lined. I had heaters above my head. I had wind protection. And it was a really refreshing and comfortable experience. So much I'd say, actually, you know, I think I found my taste buds were more, you know, accelerated by the fact that I was consuming it with fresh air, you know, in, in my lungs as well. So I think these are all important insights, Ruth, and really point to the fact that, you know, for businesses now that are thinking about how do they optimize those outdoor spaces for 2021 and beyond. This may be an area that's a longer term investment than, than you may have thought last year. I think it's really important that those menus are thought through to work for outdoor dining spaces. So outdoor dining that's going to make sense in terms of 
how is my food going to be kept warm so the vessels I'm using is really important but equally as well what's the distance between my outdoor spaces and the kitchen and how does that reflect itself in in the way the the menu is offered and the other thing coming through from our research is that the preferences is for cross-season dining outdoors which is more uh, casual and light bites and snacks and so things like you know the idea maybe of uh, an experience that is maybe a dessert and a cocktail or it is you know a casual light bite and a glass of nice nice wine with a friend so these are all things to consider when we start to look at outdoor dining absolutely and i think you're right amanda i mean i think we all know from barbecues and picnics and everything sometimes food just just tastes better when you're outdoors and you have have that lovely atmosphere and and as you say you know i remember being in copenhagen in in the springtime and it was still very cold in fact there was a bit of snow around and i mean nearly every restaurant or cafe had some tables outside and whether it was hot water bottles blankets heaters and of course people were also dressed to to be outdoors and they had their big warm coats on and they were more than happy to to stay outside so I suppose it's creating that Look, that culture yeah and as I say Ruth you know there's no such thing as poor weather but there is such a thing as poor clothing so no, how you dress. exactly Joe yeah. and I suppose in terms of preparing for outdoor dining and the, and the setup what what do you what should places be considering now and thinking about in advance of the reopening yeah I, a, a huge opportunity you know if you, if you think about it you know when the spoke smoking ban was first introduced you know to, to this country we were the, one of the first we were very innovative and there are many fine examples around the country how well these spaces were developed and and I think similarly spaces for outdoor dining can be developed very well you know you got to take into consideration where the where the kitchen um, is but but i think Niall, you know we were talking about this earlier and you know to have an outdoor barbecue and to tailor your menu that you know you're not you're not transporting food for great distances that and i think people would be for accepting of that but it's all it's all about clever design well laid out spaces well lit well heated heated lamps and you know, well sheltered for breezes and that. And I, I think we'll see a huge uh, upsurge in that. So it's just taking a, a little bit of level two thinking, I call it, so that you can really plan it properly. But it's beginning to happen already, as Amanda and Niall earlier alluded to. So great opportunity, yeah. And Niall, I mean, if people have the outdoor space available, you know, it seems obvious that they should use it. But I mean, it needs to be, they need to be able to do that in a way that is efficient and, and viable and um, profitable and that they can service properly and deliver quality. So what should people be considering around their, their setup and the kind of food that they might serve outdoors? First of all, Ruth, I mean, I love outdoor dining. I just think it's wonderful to eat out. But my first advice would be to really keep the concept simple. Looking at, you know, what food works outside. So as you alluded, like barbecues work really well food truck like building a pizza oven like i mean the heat from a pizza oven alone would just just create that sense of warmth but like even you know you don't even have to do pizzas in the oven it could be you could be roasting chicken you can be doing anything you want but my advice would be to really kind of keep it simple and i think outdoor outdoor dining uh in particular it, it, it can't really be structured as a starter main course and dessert it's going to be a one dish so my advice would be to keep that concept simple, work on the quality of what you're doing and do it really well. Great. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next episode when we're focusing in on menu engineering. But now I'll stay, stay in with you. Something that we mentioned er earlier is I mean, the trend around all day dining and I suppose the different 
dining opportunities throughout the day and maybe change in, in patterns as to when people want to, to eat now. And I mean, that's something that has emerged over recent years. It's been around for a while. But how how is COVID likely to, to influence that? And what do you businesses need to we, be thinking about yeah we'll definitely see uh, all day dining menus evolving this year i think they're going to get better you know they're not going to be an afterthought and uh, you have a look at work schedules at the moment they're changing all the time and as a result of the traditional lunch break between one and two is pretty much gone uh, and an all day dining uh, option is a great viable option for customers on different schedules so you kind of have to nearly kind of bring your almost breakfast and lunch and dinner into your all day dining and kind of cater for that because you don't know whether somebody wants, uh, you know, a breakfast at you know twelve o'clock because of their schedules. However, you know, for this to work, uh, in, uh, the kitchen needs to really simplify this and needs to bring in ingredients and dishes that are cross-functional. Uh, they're also kind of tie in with their dinner takeaway and delivery menus because these are other areas that uh, businesses are looking at now so they're looking at you know that takeaway option that click and collect and they're also looking at the delivery as well so you need to be smart you need to also continue to drive efficiency so that it's not overloaded on the kitchen but it's also worth noting that uh, there's a you know the dietary trend of intermittent fasting which you know which which traditionally skips breakfast definitely falls into this category and it's a really good opportunity for businesses to tap into Okay, Niall, as you mentioned there, of course, food to go, that's been a huge area of development over over the past year and I um, think probably a huge learning curve for the restaurant sector and um, hotels and really everyone who has tried to pivot and offer, whether it's takeaway or home uh, meal kits or grab and go offerings, it's, there's really been a lot of innovation in this area. I mean, in your view, is a short-term fad that is is likely to to disappear as soon as we go back to you know in-house dining, or is it something that's that's set to continue? And what what do businesses who are engaging in in takeaway and these other models need to be thinking about? Uh, it'll probably see a slight drop off uh, when restaurants reopen, but I, I believe that it's definitely here to stay. Re- restaurants, and in particular high-end ones who traditionally have never done takeaway or provided a delivery service, uh, are now looking at what worked during lockdowns and bolting this resort of revenue onto their future business model. So it's all about securing during their future business uh, to be more resilient. Customers, I think, are also loving the fact that they can have such incredible food in the comfort of, of their own home. Like you take in Alinea in Chicago, it's one of the best restaurants in the world you know and they're doing comfort food such as uh, coca van and takeaway so they've really kind of had a look at you know in times of uncertainty they've looked at comfort food as, as an emotional way of tapping into their customers and if you think you know you're getting a coca van which is a beautiful dish uh, at probably a fraction the price of what you would probably spend in uh, Alinea on a normal dining night I think the key here is designing food to go that is, again, it's cross-functional with your other menu. So it's also about driving those efficiencies and also having a look at recipes that are scalable because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be to be too finicky, but you also want it to be deliverable. So when you're meeting that customer demand, it's it's that the customers are getting the same experience at home as they are in the restaurant. And the certain dishes that lend itself to it, to, to that however but i still feel that restaurants uh because our commercial kitchens need to really test these dishes in a domestic setting to ensure that the customers get the best results in either reheating or part cooking and you see all these different meal kits you see it from uh, a meal that you reheat or a meal that you, you have part of playing cooking and that's also an, an attraction and you can see very kind of low-end 
uh, people just want a five-day meal plan to customers who want a full uh, Michelin star dining experience in their in their own home. And I think that's something uh, that can't be ignored. So I definitely uh, would say that it, it's 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 here to stay. And I think restaurants would be just a little bit smarter about their menu design based on that. Great. And okay, so we've we're coming to the end now of our first episode of Inside Food. And I suppose just to 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 wrap up, I'd like to ask each of you very briefly if you've got one practical tip that you would give to businesses as to what they should be doing now to be in the best shape for for reopening. Let's start with you, Niall. My first tip would be to uh, re-engineer your current menus in line with current demand and current trends while driving efficiencies. And by most importantly, get your costings right. Great. Joe? I would say get your breakfast right. You know, we're, we're a people business and people, you know, will buy from you in direct proportion to how much they like you. And they will like you in, in direct proportion to how you make them feel. So if, if you make them feel safe and you make them feel that they're having a great bec- breakfast experience, then, you know, they'll return again and again and again. And it's all about just, you know, getting a working group together, getting your objectives in writing, getting your performance measurements and targets um, and measure your, your success against that and incentivize your teams. And, you know, we mentioned the breakfast toolkit earlier on. There's an awful lot of good advice there. So that's what I would say is because it's the biggest challenge I think Irish hotels face is to get breakfast right every time. And Amanda? Well, I suppose it's really to just uh, reinforce what Joe and Nyla said. You know, Fall to Ireland are really here to help. Um, We have some great free tools on the website. We have great accessible free training right now. So contact your industry body, you know, to um, access some of the Fault Ireland training or if you're already in contact with your local Fault Ireland representative, reach out because I think what we really are anxious to ensure businesses do now is to pause, reflect, be strategic in what you're going to do now because we need what you're doing for 2021 to be profitable and to be sustainable in the long term. So that's it for our very first episode of Fall to Ireland's Inside Tours and Business podcast. My thanks again to Amanda Horan, Joe Quinn and Niall Hill for joining us this week. Throughout series one, we'll be delving inside food, sharing expert advice on how to run a leaner, more successful food operation. Each week, we'll be joined by industry practitioners to share their experience. In our next episode, Niall will be back with us again alongside Fergus O'Halloran, Managing Director of the 12 Hotel Galway, for discussion on menu engineering. Until then, goodbye. The Inside Tourism Business Podcast is brought to you by Falcha Ireland, the National Tourism Development Authority. Subscribe now on your favourite streaming platform and join us next time for more expert advice and insights.